In 2024, the Triathlon Hour is brought to you by The Feed. Thefeed.com is a website that has all of the world's best training and race day nutritional products in one place. The Feed's goal is to help you experiment with and ultimately find what nutritional products work best for you to get the most out of your performance in training and racing. They have almost 200 brands in stock, so you can buy as much from one brand as you want or as little as one gel from a brand. And I really do think that's the big benefit is you can try one thing from every brand and that way you'll find exactly what it is that you love and works for you. And having it all at one place at thefeed.com makes it convenient to do so. There's no more having to go to multiple websites and pay for shipping on them all and wait for them to come on different days or drive around to multiple shops. You can just get everything you need at thefeed.com and have it all shipped to your front door together so it arrives at the same time. Fred Funk and myself are back for our second edition of answering your questions about all things triathlon. Fred and I put out on our Instagram stories asking you to send over whatever questions you have about anything long course triathlon with a little bit of short course, but hopefully not too much, and we'll answer them. Fred, we have two things we try to abide by on these episodes. That's one, try our best to be honest, and two, try our best not to sit on the fence. So let's jump straight in. Chris D. Brown asks, are there too many pros who aren't racing to a professional standard and should your pro status be reviewed more regularly? First of all, hi, Jack. <laughs> Thanks for having me back on the pod. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a good question uh, for, for starters. Um, I personally think, like, in most countries, there are already, like, some kind of strict rules. Like, you have to be already really good to actually get a professional license in germany on the other hand you can just pay for it and then then you're a professional um, i mean you have a professional license but um yeah in my eyes um yeah the, the definition of a professional athlete is when you can live from the sport and i think that's that's up to everyone if you want to race professional give it a try i think yeah there's nothing what should stop you and then uh yeah if you earn money with it and make a living then yeah that that's basically what what would be the the review um of your professional professional status so i think it's it happens automatically i don't think there need, need to be like any um uh extra or stricter rules for it or what do you think yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't think it needs to be sanctioned into it with rules because now that we've got the PTO, you're just not going to get a start on a PTO race if you're ranked like 350 in the world or, you know, yeah. really not even if you're ranked 50 in the world unless you get super lucky. So, I mean, I think if you're, you know, if you can get a pro license with whatever, um, whatever, it doesn't really matter if you're going to be competitive or not. The sport will sort of sort you out. Yeah, exactly. If you can't make money from it, it's going to be pretty tough. There's the odd person who'll be able to get, you know, money from their parents or their family and they'll race. But, you know, I don't think it hurts having them in the race. Uh, maybe if we had like 200 pros on a start line or something, we might have to 
condense it a little bit but then the races would probably just be like okay let's cap it to 50 um which is sort of what Ironman are doing with the pro race series and, and the pto are doing with their races so now nah, i don't think it hurts to have some you know average pros racing uh, low tier races if anything it's probably good for the sport so nah let's include everyone yeah it's, it's always quite interesting like so many professional athletes who don't make like um the, the pto races are or not not so many but like a few always complaining that uh the professional the pto is not supporting like the um lower ranked athletes um but yeah my opinion about that is like yeah just get better a hundred percent mate the 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 epl or the nfl or the the ufc or the or f1 they don't support everyone in the sport they support the best and it like forever in triathlon we've actually supported um pros who uh, probably who this correct question is directed about that don't deserve to be pros relative to some other sports so our sport is already super inclusive of most abilities relative to other professional sports because there are some pros who are a long way off the pace but i think it's about time that we had a you know a bit of a higher standard for our best races and and they be raced by the best like against the best more regularly so no i'm with you get better or or go and race some other races yeah let's jump on to next and on to the next question dar runner 1621 md asks <laughs> do pro male triathletes have coaches tell them to lose weight also or is is that something that only happens to female pros oh that's interesting uh, well, I guess this is in the news uh, and being asked. It was actually asked by multiple people, which is surprising. Uh, it wasn't a question I expected to see uh, sent in. I guess it's because of the Sky Munch um, chat recently about being told to lose weight by a coach. It definitely happens to males as well. It's not based on males or females. And I think a lot of people do see, uh, might have seen that with Sky and, and, and gone, you know, um, that, that probably does happen to a lot of females in, in our sport by male coaches uh, and that's not good, which is true. That's that's not good. But it definitely does happen to males as well. I've seen it myself in training squads I've been around um, where there's a few pros with really bad eating disorders and um, always talk about how they're, o they're overweight and their coaches sort of, um, you, know, you know, aren't necessarily telling them, hey, you – you're you're overweight but they are saying oh if you you know if you lose a couple of kilos that'll be that'll be a good race weight for you it's just little comments like that that do happen pretty pretty regularly and i've seen regularly throughout my time um i've actually personally only ever seen it happen to males and i think that's just because i am a male so i was training with a lot of males and and i've seen you know professional triathlon coaches make those statements to to pro males but i've never seen it happen to to a pro female so I think that does speak to the fact that it, it it's not a female issue or a male issue. It's just a triathlon issue. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, I know quite some pros who to who it happened already. And also for me personally, when I was in the national uh, junior squad, um, also the national coaches were telling me not necessarily telling me I need to lose weight, but telling me I need to eat that and that, eat super healthy, and to so I stay uh, lean um or you get get even leaner um but yeah i think for for the difference for male athletes is that it doesn't really um affect them that much like uh, mentally and emotionally like i mean men it's just like either they do it or they don't do it but like they don't really care about these comments as much as uh, female athletes and i think that's the main main difference and that's why 
male um, triathletes or male athletes also wouldn't wouldn't really talk about it because yeah, like either they really try to get leaner or they just yeah give give a shit about that comments. So I think for that that's how it's um, what's the difference, and that's how it's easier for for the male athletes. I hear you say that, but I've had slightly you know, mixed experiences with that. I've had some guys who you know go oh fuck that person like. I'm fine, and or or you know, I've had some, I've seen some males who have been really affected by it, and and gone, okay, I'm going to get super skinny and start to starve themselves. But I've also um, I've seen like I'll tell a story or two without telling the, the people's name. I was good mates with uh, a professional triathlete, a really high level professional triathlete, um, racing short course back in the day, and he uh, had a pretty big t- uh, training day, and he he put pasta on his plate. And one of the, the the coaches came up to him and said, what, don't you take the sport fucking seriously? And he's like, what do you mean? And he goes, pasta. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm just, I'm eating pasta for dinner. What, what's that say about how seriously I take the sport? And he goes, if you took this sport seriously, you'd put that pasta away and put some steak and veggies on that plate, um, basically hinting at him to lose weight. And that really messed that guy up. He got really sort of upset about it and sad about it because he's like, you know, I'm dedicating my life to this to be told that I'm a bad person for the fact I'm eating pasta. And it was sort of like the first comment in a string of comments um, from coaches in that environment to him that sent him on a bit of a downward, um, or sent him down the wrong path with the sport, I'd say, a path to not enjoying it and getting quite uh, mentally unwell and ultimately leaving the sport. And then I know myself, mate, I had a I had a comment um, in a similar sort of setup where I got um, – I got teed up with a dietitian, and uh, and they they talked me through um, you know weight management and and how we can do that and actually really um, fucked me up a little bit too made me quite um, have quite a develop quite an unhealthy relationship with food and um, be mentally not not really at my best for quite a, a while and that's why I really try and um, get people like Sky Munch and Cat Matthews on the podcast to. Um, have talked about it and, and when they do come on I ask them about it because uh, it's an it is an issue that affected me um, so no I, I sort of um, don't agree with what you're saying that men handle it different to women I think some women handle, handle it a certain way some men handle it a certain way and other men and other women handle it other ways um, I, that's why I think it's just such a shitty part of our sport and you know why one bloke might handle it well another bloke it might um, completely destroy their life so yeah that's why I think it's such a big issue but it's 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 just funny how like the um, m- most uh, people think like a triathlete has to be super lean, while um, you have all these athletes like uh, Christian Blumenfeld like smashing everyone. And I heard so many um, people say like, uh, yeah, Christian Blumenfeld he's way too big to be a triathlon. Yeah, but then like yeah, but he's the best in the world. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean. For for running, it's obviously good when you're um, when you're lighter, but uh, yeah, it's still triathlon. So, next question: Collar Bottle <laughs> asks. By the way, your your name for that last question was pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> Collar Bottle asks: How much are pros making from prize money versus sponsorship payments slash sponsor race bonuses? Um. It's very individual, but I would generally say as better you are, as less um, you are making in total uh, in um, 
yeah total percentage from from price money and it's more you make from sponsor bonuses and and payments um for me personally it's about 20 percent um price money if you include the um like the pto ranking and the other 80 percent i make my money is uh, from sponsors and i think that's already really good and you're obviously in a tough position where you're never going to tell us what you make although i will let people know it's a lot of money um but Something I've learned this year is that some pros make a lot more money than I thought they did and some pros make a lot less money than I thought they did. So I know some pros who have made like say sixty to $70,000 from um, prize money and are probably getting like twenty to 30000 through sponsorship. And then I know some pros who are making very similar from prize money but are making like five hundred, six hundred thousand $600,000 from sponsorship. Um, and then I've I've heard some stories this year um, from the from the horse's mouth about, you know, pros making a million dollars upwards. So there is some pros who make a lot in sponsorship and others who don't make much. Um, and then obviously you have someone like Ashley Gentle or Christian Blumenfeld who make a lot from prize money and, and probably um, don't really know their numbers, obviously, but um, probably a lot from sponsorship too. So there is a real spread right across the board. And then with the chase pack, you know, when you're dealing with pros ranked 100 to 200 in the world or even Penny Slater um, ranked number 30, uh, five odd in the world, they're making barely any money from either, probably like ten to $20,000 all up combined, um, you know, maybe maybe 40 to 50 on a good year. So, yeah, there really is quite a spread in, in long course professional triathlon. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like overall triathlon, there's more more money in it than most people think. Um, so like all the top athletes are actually making a lot of money. Um, but yeah, then as you said, there's like this this big um big spread. So it's like either you're making shitloads of money or you barely make a living. There's almost nothing in between. And, and something I found, Fred, by talking to people is that the people who make money they find it very easy to make money. And the people who don't make money yeah, yeah. find it almost mm -hmm. impossible to make money. Yeah, I mean, like the, the sponsors are obviously going more and more just for, for the top athletes and then even take more money into their hands to get those top athletes rather than having um, a few more um, like not top ranked athletes um, for, for cheaper. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense but yeah that's that's how it is almost in every sport it's it's the same in, in like tennis if you're not like top 100 i mean the top 100 like makes shitload of money and if you're not in there you barely make anything so i think that's how it is something most of you probably don't know is that i coach a few triathletes on on the side of doing this podcast and recently i took on a couple of new athletes one of those athletes have been saying to me they felt ridiculously tired every morning and they really struggled with getting up for their morning sessions. And when they did do them, they just didn't enjoy them or really want to be there. So we put a whoop strap on them for one week. We gathered some data and we noticed that their sleep score was really, really bad. It was in the 30% range and they were only getting about six to 6.5 hours sleep on average per night. I recommended to the athlete that they just try taking pillar performances, triple magnesium every night before bed for two weeks to see if it made a difference or not and that we'd revisit the data once they'd done that. And sure enough, five days in, they messaged me and they were like, oh, I'm already sleeping way better. I'm keen to see the data after two weeks. And so when we got to that two-week mark, their sleep score was about 85%. And the biggest thing in my opinion is they were now averaging 8.5 to 9 hours sleep per night, which 
It's just a crazy difference. And the only thing they changed was taking pillar performances to magnesium 30 minutes before bed every night. They didn't miss a single night. And I've been saying that for over a year uh, here, every single week. But taking pillar performances to magnesium, in my opinion, 30 minutes before bed every night really does help everyone. So if you want to try it for yourself, head over to Pillar Performance's website or get it on the feed.com. Use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off your order. Let's jump on the next question. Jay Jorison asks, what's your favorite song for a hard training session? Uh, we So we do this with these questions. We don't actually look at them before we, we jump in. Uh, <laughs> so this one's tough with no preparation. And considering I don't train as much as I used to. But when I used to train, I really liked uh, – uh, I loved Freed from Desire. Great song. Um, and I liked Chop Suey, System of a Down. Um, I think I'm, I assume we're talking oh, yeah. the hard training here. Like say you've got 20 minutes worth of VO2 max intervals on the bike or a track session on the run and you've got your headphones in. Yeah, something like Chop Suey, System of a Down. Like Lucy Charles Barclay says, um, Lose Yourself, Eminem is probably the best training song in the world. And yeah, Freed from Desire. I think they're three pretty good ones. So for me, like I don't have that one song. Um, also what I listen to, it changes like every every week. Um, but I remember when I had last year um, like a FTP test. It wasn't like an FTP test. It was like a 12 minutes uh, all out on the bike. And I just put on a butterfly effect from Travis Scott. Um, and so like for, for repeat. So I was just listening that for the whole 12 minute of the, uh, of the test. Uh, yeah. That gets me pretty hard. <laughs> the one song for the whole test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many times through is that? How long, how long's the song? It's just like maybe four times, three or four times. But uh, yeah, when it when it comes back to choosing a song for uh, something like that, then it's I always get it back to um, Travis Scott Butterfly Effect. I um I listen to like a lot of Linkin Park as well. Somewhere I belong, it, only for really hard sessions, not really for like easy stuff. Um, but I remember I was make I did an FTP test in like 2020 or 2021 or something like that, and I was making a little playlist for it, and I had songs like Somewhere I Belong, Linkin Park, and you know chop suey system of a down and lose yourself eminem but then for some reason i was really into not i wasn't listening to it day to day but only when i was training all the things she said by it's like tattoo and it is the girliest song ever i'll i'll put a little bit i'll, <laughs> I'll put a little bit of it right now so that people can hear it Like it is just you. You would never listen to it um, in a hard training session, but for some reason, it got me so up and about. Like every time it come on, I could push just a little bit more. So I don't know. It's funny what weird songs get you up while you're training that you'd just never listen to in day to day life. Yeah, true. It's like I posted my tw playlist uh, the other day on on Instagram and Strava, um, and now quite some people are following there on on Spotify. And if you listen to that playlist, it's also um, really weird mix like you've got some really slow songs some sad songs and then some really like electro and songs that really hype you up uh, it's funny we should change it to jack and fred's mix and we can both contribute <laughs> <laughs> okay next question oh these oh, i swear all these names are being kind of hard to read 
Sed Al <laughs> Philip asks, what do you both think Lionel Sanders should do in 2024? Well, I, I, I commented on his comment under his post, also watched his video. Um, so yeah, I definitely think he should do the um, the PTO series, not just because of his personal performance or what he's better in, but also um, it would help the sport and the PTO a lot if he would race um, and promote the PTO series. And um, yeah, he could still do Kona, just not probably not the Ironman series, but if he wants to go for Kona, he can still do the PTO series and Kona. Um, so yeah, I think then he would get exactly what 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 he wants. Yeah, I, I I'm with you there that I I really want him to race the PTO series and wish he was racing the PTO series. But if you've watched his video um, or or heard what he said about it, he's very clearly said no to his PTO slot. Like you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. Uh, and I think it's pretty clear reading between the lines that Lionel Sanders is going to have a, a big crack at Kona this year and probably even a, a bit of a crack at the Ironman Pro Series in general. I, I sort of think with Lionel, though, that he's the kind of athlete that, that doesn't have to and probably shouldn't focus on either. I fully understand why he wouldn't race PTO races. I don't think he's ever going to win one. Um, but I do think because of the PTO being around, it really opens the door for Lionel Sanders and, and people like Lionel Sanders. Um, I think other people like Leon Chevalier, um, I would put in this category, who could go and have massive years outside of the PTO. Like I think that all these you know, top 20, 25 athletes who are going to spend a fair bit of their time racing five, six, seven PTO races – um, means that there's some big Ironman races for someone like Lionel to come on, come into, uh, you, you know, peaking for the race, um, not not over raced at all, and and have a big race compared to some of the guys who might be a little bit over raced this year. So I actually think what Lionel Sanders should do in in 2024 is focus on neither the Ironman Pro Series or the PTO, and instead focus on two Ironman races or two long course races. It could be a challenge race. And just try to win them. And I think they should be maybe like Ironman Texas and and Kona. That's what I'd sort of um, suggest for him. And not that not that Lionel would ever would ever care what I say, but that's what I think he should do. And he should really peak for them and dedicate big training blocks to both. And then just do some tune up races, some you know maybe a seventy point three here and there um, to to sort of get himself in like peak condition just to try and have a big crack at those those two like sort of A races. Yeah, I agree on that. Ivan Hu12 asks, who will have the better season in 2024, Magnus Ditlev or Daniel Beckegaard? Interesting, I guess because they train together. That's why uh, he's comparing them. And obviously Magnus already one of the you know four or five best long course triathletes in the world. And Daniel Beckegaard had a very um, inconsistent first half of the year um, and a very good back half of the year with his trip to Australia. Um, when I talked to Daniel Backgard after he trained with Magnus Ditlev, um, when he was like doing his Australia trip, he sort of um, said to me that he still sees himself as quite a bit like, or not quite a bit. He still he he said to me that after training with Magnus, he realizes that he's a little bit off that level um, and still has a bit of work to do to get to that level. So, I mean, based off what we've seen from Magnus last year, who you know is one of the best in the world. Um, and the fact that Daniel himself um, says that after training with him, uh, hard to see Magnus Ditlev not having the better season of the two in 2024. 
Yeah, it depends now how you define um, having a, a better season. Like, are they even both racing the same races? Like, both PTO, both Ironman Series? Um, and then what's better, if you win the Ironman Series or if you win the PTO Series? So it's it's hard hard to say. But, like, let's say if they, they race head-to-head in um, in Kona, which maybe gets, which is probably still then the biggest race of next year. Um, then I would go for Magnus Ditlev. I think they're both. Oh, well, this I don't know, but I I think they're both going to race the PTO races. It would be crazy if they didn't. Um, so yeah. let, let's say they went head to head in five PTO races, six PTO races. Do you think that Daniel would get? Do you think that Daniel will get one win over Magnus? Let's say, let's say that it was five races. They race each other five times over the PTO distance. Do you think Daniel Bakagar will win? Will beat Magnus head to head in one of them or not? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think in, in uh, uh, I think it would be even like maybe two. Maybe would be in front of Magnus. Like Daniel, I see Daniel's pretty strong also on the hundred k distance. Maybe like there the the gap uh, between him and Magnus is um, closer than on the Ironman distance. Yeah. Oh, gee. That I think it's so hard. I don't. It's based on twenty twenty three form. It is hard to see Daniel Backergaard beating Magnus over any distance, but I guess with the format where you're going to be racing so frequently, it does mean that that guys are going to have better races and guys are going to have subpar races. Like we saw Magnus Ditlev was pretty tired when it comes to the US Open last year and had a great start to the race, but you know ultimately was just too too tired and fatigued from his heavy race schedule. And that was one where Daniel Backergaard could have potentially beaten him head to head if if they were both there on that day um and and magnus didn't pull out so i think that's the beauty of the pto series is it probably does lead to slightly more up and down results because so many guys will be racing so much do you do you agree with that um yeah it would be interesting i think next year i feel like some athletes really will will overdo it like by, by really racing too much and I think you really have to choose already beginning of the season what you want to focus on and what you want to do, even if it's between uh, PTO and just racing in, in Kona. So it will be interesting, yeah. And for, like, for my like, – I think Magnus will definitely target Kona, like 100%. I think if, if Magnus did live his, and his team sat down at the start of the year and said, okay, what's the one race we want to win and we'll do everything we can to win, it'll be Kona. Whereas I'm not so sure with Daniel Backgaard. Like, Yes, he'll probably race Kona and it'll probably be one of his main races for the year, but I wouldn't be surprised if his team were like, yeah, well, we'd love to race the entire PTO series and try and, you know, come podium at a few of them and also go and have a good day at Kona, but they might not completely dedicate and obsess over it the same way Magnus Ditlev will, which might open the door for Daniel Backgaard in some PTO races where Magnus is it has his eye more on Kona. Yeah, I agree. Next one, Aaron Kolk asks, uh, by the way, he's uh, one of those pros we were talking about earlier. I think he's ranked like 350 in the world on the PTO rankings. Uh, anyway, he asks, who has the highest FTP in triathlon? Well, <laughs> uh, if it's really about absolute numbers, it's 100% Magnus Titlev. Yeah, for sure. He, did, he didn't he'd even like do a 20-minute test like over 500 watts beginning of the season. Yeah, last year, 500 and <laughs> I, 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 rep, I remember that was on my podcast and I said it was 508 watts, but I think he corrected me in 
America or oh yeah, I think it was America where he corrected me and he said it was actually 504 watts. So for 20 minutes, oh yeah, okay, uh, Magnus did live, <laughs> and then it's not so strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's someone who held 506 and now has the highest. Uh, it would be an interesting question <laughs> if it was so. if it was watts per kilo. Like no one else is holding 504 watts for 20 minutes. I don't think. Do you think? But I think even even in watts per kilo, like wait, I need my my calculator. Um, let's say he was like, how how heavy is Magnus? You think? Probably like 80. That would be 6.3. If I multiply that with my weight. I no no I I don't think anyone even watts per kilo any triathlete would uh, be able to do that. Probably not. No, I'm just trying to think who might be close. Hayden Wild would probably have a pretty high FTP, but I don't know. I don't think that high. I would say even maximum someone who's like 60 kilos, like LXE. I don't know what he can push for 20 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. Ugh, but yeah, I mean. Magnus Dietlieb definitely has the highest FTP, so I guess that's the uh, answer to that question. I'd like to know who, which female has the highest FTP, like whether it would be the obvious in Taylor Nib or whether it would be someone else. Mm, maybe Daniela Roof. You reckon still? I think it would be between, between those two. I think in absolute numbers, uh, Daniela is maybe even better than Taylor. Yeah, just purely because she's a little bit bigger, so she pushes a few more watts. You think? Yeah, not like I don't know. Also, how it's it's hard to tell. Also, maybe Taylor is a bit more. I'm not anymore. I would last year. I would have say Taylor was more aero than Daniela Roof, but she did a lot also in terms of aerodynamics. So, yeah, who else would be in that convo? Like Lucy Byron would hold a bit. Obviously, she everyone knows how good a cyclist she is, and I think Paula Finlay would hold a pretty good uh, FTP as well. Well, luckily, triathlon is not about who has the highest FTP. <laughs> uh, interesting though, isn't it? Because we can all relate to it. Because everyone can go and ride on Zwift or yeah. you know Ruby or Trainer Road, whatever they use, um, and ride as hard as they can for twenty minutes. And like anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, age group or pro triathlete. When you hear that Magnus Ditlev for twenty minutes held five oh four watts, like you can go. And, and relate to how good that is and how fast he ma- must ride based on that at races. Um, and it makes sense when you hear that why Magnus Ditlev looks so hard to ride with at PTO races. Yeah, it's it's also always interesting um, when you read like comments, when like Ironman or PTO or anyone posts right, like results, um, in, including the splits, like how people always comment about the run times. Like doesn't matter how slow you were cycling if you got like let's say you got tens in a race um but ran a 106 half marathon people will be so impressed by your performance even though you were maybe riding like 200 watts before that spoken like a true true cyclist in you yeah it's it's the same with the with the absolute numbers if you're riding like 400 watts but only going like 35k per hour um then it's still super impressive I actually, this speaks to a question that we've got coming up that I saw on the run sheet, but we'll, we'll hold off on that. If you've never used form goggles before, you're missing out. As soon as you put them on and wear them for your first swim session, you get out of the pool and you realize, I wish I'd been wearing these for the last few years. They give you live pace as you swim, so you don't have to look at the clock or try and guess what pace you're swimming as you're doing your intervals. 
and you don't have to try and click start and stop on your watch every interval, which is something I really like. And something else I really like is that you can put workouts into the goggles. So before you go swimming, you just chuck the workout into them. And then when you jump in the pool, literally all you have to do is follow what your goggles say. They really make boring solo swims fun and motivating. So if you're someone like me who gets a little bit bored going to the pool by yourself, they're literally perfect for you. Head to Form's website and use the discount code HTT15 at checkout when you buy some for 15% off plus a year's free um, premium membership and realize why every professional athlete you see seems to be wearing them. They really do make swim training more motivating, funner and, and way more specific and easier if you are doing sessions and workouts. You'll love them, I guarantee it. Josue Andre, <laughs> I'm sure it's Spanish, <laughs> asks, Will Christian Blumfeld win the Olympics? Oh, he, uh, this is a long way out. Um, I like a long way out prediction, though. It's sort of good to to put your balls on the line and actually not sit on the fence with something. Um, very, very hard because the French are strong. Hayden Wild is very good. Alex Yee is the fastest runner we've probably ever seen in triathlon. But will Christian Blumenfeld win? Um Yes, he will win. I think if he comes off the bike with Hayden and Alex, um, which is likely to happen on that course in Paris, I don't think he will win. Like this time, I think um, Alex and Hayden will run faster. Um, so maybe he gets on a podium. But in like a scenario where he actually makes to the front pack with the French guys, and then outruns them, then uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Like suddenly Christian is there at the front pack with the best swimmers, uh, riding with them and outrunning them. It is so hard to see him beating Hayden Wild and Alex Yee off the bike. It's even, it is even hard to see, like Dorian Connex, I'm so impressed with how he runs and all the French, Leo and, and um, Pierre Lacour. God, and that means Vincent Louis doesn't, doesn't even make the team if we're saying those three. But there's so many fast runners right now, even like Morgan Pearson or someone like that, if he happens to come off with them. Um, God, if he wins it, it'll be impressive because on paper, I don't think anyone thinks he's still the fastest runner. But there's something about Christian Blumenfeld at big races where I'm not betting against him. No matter how much I love Hayden Wild, which is a lot, um, admittedly, and uh, my uh, my heart tells me that that Hayden will win it, but... I'm never, ever betting against Christian Blumenfeld if he comes off the bike with anyone in the world. Yeah, he he just has got this uh, last percent, which you could see on the last kilometer in Tokyo, which like no one else got. So if he finds that, then it will be tough for the others. <laughs> it's like uh, my favorite quote ever by a professional triathlete is by Sebastian Kinley, um, where he said, uh, where, where the interviewer uh, the interviewer asks him what was he thinking um, at the end of the run because um, he was involved in a sprint uh, like in a battle for the last sort of three four k for the the win and he goes like do you want to know honestly I was thinking uh, fucking kill yourself I'd rather die than come second <laughs> and I don't think anyone has ever embodied that more than Christian Blumenfeld not even Sebastian Kinley yeah the next question uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> oh this one uh do we even add this one in fred <laughs> i i have no idea what you're going to ask oh. i don't know the question 
Well, the questions, <laughs> I don't know them either because I don't want to know them beforehand. So I get someone else to write them down. Um, so that because me and you want to go into them blind, not having to not having thought of answers and you know prepared perfect answers, uh, we want to just go with what our gut tells us. So this one is, well, I guess it's in here. Let's uh, let's see where it goes, and if we have to edit it out, we'll edit it out. Um, Sam Laidlow asks, "Why do Rudy and Daniel think everyone is cheating?" Hmm. I guess we are, we would have to ask that Rudy Rudy and Daniel, but. Um, yeah, I don't think they think everyone's cheating. <laughs> Just for context, <laughs> this is Rudy von Berg and Daniel Backergaard. <laughs> oh, I like Sam Laidlow. Just, he just knows how to entertain. I love it about him. Um, and <laughs> I don't think they, but I don't think I'm with you. I, I, I don't think Rudy and Daniel think everyone is cheating. Uh, although obviously talk about cheating is at an all-time high over the last six to 12 months in triathlon ever since Colin Chartier. So you do hear, you know, you do hear people say, oh, that person's probably cheating or that person's probably cheating more than more than ever behind the scenes, I'd say. Uh, but I don't particularly think Rudy or Daniel do it more than more than anyone else. I like I talk, I've talked to Daniel um, about it off air and he definitely doesn't say it more than anyone else. Um, I haven't strictly had that conversation with Rudy though, so I can't can't speak on it. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they do think everyone is cheating either, Fred. But uh, would be good to know who was cheating in the triathlon world. So yeah, well, <laughs> and I think like as the money money increases in the sport, unfortunately, there will be more cheaters, um, especially with the with the spread being so high that you either make almost no money or you make all of the money. So, yeah, I hope the, um, the, the controls will work well and there will be more and more in the next years. We didn't sit on the fence on that one, did we? No, I think we answered the question. <laughs> we also just have no idea. <laughs> That's what's funny. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just picturing Sam just like sending that in, just pissing himself laughing uh yeah he's like yeah he just knows how to uh he knows how to he knows how to entertain that's what i love about him so yeah me and fred don't know we uh we uh don't know anything though so that's why it's quite ironic that we're the ones doing a q a so next question juan sepena asks is taylor nip unbeatable over middle distance oh uh Short answer, I think yes. Um, and then like long explanation of that is I think that if every single um, female long course triathlete shows up to a race line, um, 10 out of 10 fit, nothing wrong with them, that I would pick Taylor Nib to win that race every time. And until I see her get beaten when she's on and everyone else is on, like, you know, think back to her 70.3 world champs win this year or her US Open um, win this year, Ash Gentle looked great at the US Open. Like Ash Gentle, she she had a great race and then we saw what she did at Singapore only a few weeks later. Um, so for Taylor Nib to beat that version of Ash Gentle pretty comfortably, I think says a lot because that version of Ash Gentle was fucking good. Um, and then for Taylor to do what she did at 70.3 World Champs, which was win so comfortably that it made it look like no one else was ever a chance to beat her. Yeah, I think right now um, at her best, she is unbeatable over middle distance racing. Hmm. I then I think she 
is not unbeatable. Like I think like Ashley Gentle, if they're both in their best shape and if it's like, let's say Singapore, like a heat race, um, I think Ashley Gentle would beat Taylor Nib. You think that if you injected Taylor Nib into that Singapore race, she wouldn't have beaten Ash? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say something else like, you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I mean, I think there are um, race scenarios or um, courses um, where it's like, for example, like Ashley Gentle would would or could beat uh, Telenep even when they're both on, on the best day. So think back to like PTO US Open last year where Ashley did beat Taylor, which was probably her... Unless I'm wrong, I think that was the last time she did lose a middle distance race, um, and that was she had a massive lead off the bike, um, and and then Ash caught her on the run. But I do think that version of Taylor Nib was nowhere near her best, which is sort of to my point is I think that she has to be a little bit off her best for someone to beat her. Um, and yes, I do think the people who could beat her at the top of that list is Ash Gentle, and then just a little bit below Ash Gentle is like Annie Haug and Lucy Charles Barclay. Um, but I do think for even Ash Gentle to beat her, Taylor just has to be a touch off. Yeah, interesting. I'm sure, um, or oh, I hope next year we're going to see a lot of um, head-to-heads, Ashley Gentle against Taylor Nib. Do you think that Ash Gentle is the only person who has a chance to beat her or do you think there's someone else who could? Mm, yeah, if they're both right now, if they're both like on really 100%, I think then it's maybe only Ashley Gentle on middle distance. What what do you think about Annie Haug or Lucy Charles Barclay? Mm, yeah, middle distance. I think they're just missing this um, bit of speed, let's say, on the the bike and run. But yeah, on on Ironman, obviously, it's a completely different different scenario again. I don't know if that 2021 version of the Ironman 70.3 World Championship winning Lucy Charles Barclay showed up. She might give, she might give Taylor a, a hell of a race, and then like think about what Ash Gentle did at um, Ibiza at the European Open earlier in the year. They they're two pretty good races. Yeah, uh, so hopefully next year we're gonna see them, see all of them in in the PTO series, and then race against each other a lot. Yep, and I think we probably will, but it's just whether Taylor Nib shows up. Um, all the rest will race them, I think, but will Taylor be there? Wait and see. Um, next question, Jay Board. I've definitely said that wrong, but it's something like that. It looks French. Asks, who is your favorite athlete to watch race long course triathlon? Ooh. Hmm. I barely watch races, to be honest. Like the only race I watched this year was, um, was Nice. I couldn't even watch Kona because um, there was uh, on that day I had a race as well. But um, favorite athletes to watch race. Maybe just give us one guy and one girl. Sorry, one male and one female. I mean, to be honest, I would say Sam Laylo for the men because, um, like, especially how it was in Nice, like, I thought, like, every minute he's going to crack. And then he didn't. So that was actually pretty exciting to watch. And also how he was riding. It was really impressive. So that's for the male athletes and for the female athletes. Um, I would say, I would say Anne Hauk. Um, 
especially live when you actually see how fast she's running it's it's crazy i mean even when she's running the same speed like ashley gentle for her it just looks even faster because she's smaller and has like a higher cadence um it's just it's just crazy when you when you see it when you see that live and see i'm the complete opposite of you at in that I don't really have a life and I watch every single race um, and it's pretty much all I do. So it's probably even harder for me than it is for you because uh, I love watching so many athletes race. Uh, narrowing it down to one's very hard. I'm with you that Sam laid those very close, but I think my favorite person to watch, uh, my favorite male to watch recently has been either Gustav or Christian. I think I probably found... 2022 gustav a little bit better to watch um but then 2023 christian so i also love mac watching max newman race too um i think gustav eden when he's on is my favorite athlete to watch so if if gustav eden is fit and at the front of races i think he's my favorite athlete to watch race um male and then my favorite female to watch race is probably between lucy charles barclay and daniela reef um, Daniela Reef would be when she was at her best because I just loved how um, she rode and how she won races on the bike. Um, and and I think Taylor Nib is a bit like that now, uh, although the level of competition has sort of risen a bit and she hasn't done it at, at full distance yet, so she's not quite at that same level. Um, but current day Daniela, probably not quite. So maybe it's Lucy Charles Barclay now just because I love the fact that she races from the front and isn't afraid to race from the front. Like I love how she just... Um, like at Kona this year, she just made a decision that within the first K she was going to um, push hard and, and see who could go with her. And if no one could, she was willing to race off the front all day. That's that's fun to watch. So, yeah, I think for me, Gustav Eden and Lucy Charles Barclay. All right, next question. That's, in, that's interesting. Andrew HT asks, would you rather turn up to a PTO race with no wetsuit or swim skin or no super shoes? Okay, so obviously I'm not going to race a PTO race, but I'll put myself in the position of someone who was going to race a, a PTO race. And I'd say it depends on who you are. If you're a good swimmer, then definitely you would rather turn up with no wetsuit or swim skin and pick the super shoes. And if you're just an average swimmer, think of someone like uh, Magnus Ditliev or Fred Funk or Jason West. It's very tricky. Like I think you could pick either way. And if you're a poor swimmer, then definitely you would pick no super shoes and go with the wetsuit slash swim skin. The um, really tricky part is defining what a super shoe is because like every brand has their race shoe, which let's call super shoes, but they also have um, shoes that are like the level below that, which are probably what they would call their fast training shoes. I mean, let's say super shoe, like no carbon. Okay. Well, no carbon then. Yeah. There's still really fast um, shoes that, that don't have carbon plates and still use magic foam. So I, I think I think um, for most people, you would rather show, show up with no super shoes um, and you would pick the wetsuit or the swim skin just because it makes such a big difference being in the, the front swim pack or close to the front swim pack. But if you're guaranteed, like if you were someone like uh, Lucy Charles or um, in the men, Aaron Royal, you would definitely pick no wetsuit and go the super shoes instead. Yeah, I'll answer that question like how it would be for me personally. So it's a difference if it's wetsuit or swim skin because if it was only swim skin, then I would rather pick no swim skin and definitely go for the super shoes. But if it was um, wetsuit or super shoes, I would pick wetsuit over the super shoes. 
Yeah. Because like wetsuit is like five, six seconds per hundred meter. Like while swim skin is maybe one or two seconds per hundred meter. And yeah, it's then with, yeah, you, you would lose too much without wetsuit, but wouldn't lose that much without uh, swim skin. I also think if it was an Ironman 70.3, it makes the wetsuit even more important because of yeah. the 10-meter draft rule. Like you, you would almost, no matter who you are, pretty much, you would pick. But also on the marathon with super shoes, that's also like a huge difference. Oh, full distance like Ironman, I obviously haven't, it's trickier. But 70.3. Yeah, I obviously haven't raced yet, but uh, yeah, I, I would like on Ironman, I think I would always go for the super shoes and rather swim without wetsuit even. The question was for PTO race, so yeah, because like a super shoe, like say they're like say like a Nike Alpha Fly or a Nike Vaporfly, um, versus say like an ASIC Super Blast. If if we're going with with what you're saying, where the definition is that it it can't have a carbon plate, the difference between those shoes is probably only two to three seconds um, per k, maybe maybe four to five mm-hmm. at absolute most. Because um, it's still it's still for me it's quite a lot. I mean that's a lot, isn't it? But if you're on a, in a 70.3 race or a PTO race and you make the front group and then can ride with the front the front group, that can end up being, you know, five to six minutes for a lot of people. Yeah, if you're a good swimmer anyway, then it's no no question for sure. And then there's the conversation about like how much easier can you ride in a group versus if you're like solo all day and have to really push and then does that end up costing you more time on the run than – than the super shoe not having the super shoes anyway because you haven't made like a certain swim pack because you didn't have the wetsuit so yeah that's actually really tricky isn't it um but what do you what do you reckon what would the majority pick would the majority of people racing a pto race pick to go no wetsuit or no super shoes i think the majority would pick no no wetsuit really yeah i think so that's very interesting If you're going to be taking your triathlon seriously in 2024, then now is the perfect time to get yourself a WinRepublic tri-suit. WinRepublic tri-suits have undergone extensive aerodynamic testing. Um, They're ridiculously comfy to swim and run in, and they've got all the practical little details covered, like extra pockets for your gels. It's not often you get a really aerodynamic and fast tri-suit that is comfy, but WinRepublic have just nailed that. And I do think the other thing WinRepublic have always done, and they've probably always done better than everyone else is they make tri-suits that actually look good. And there is something about wearing a fun tri-suit that looks great that it just makes you really excited to race in it. And now is the perfect time to get yourself one because you can test it out in your pre-season training before you get stuck into your serious races. I personally, again, think it's really important that you do some long and hard sessions in your tri-suit before you race in it um, so that on race day, it's something you're completely used to. So definitely take advantage of the time you've got now in training before your, your next big race um, to get used to your tri-suit, use it on some long rides, use it on some sort of harder runs. Um, I think a lot of people don't run in their tri-suit enough, but now is, is literally the perfect time. Um, so head over to WinRepublic's website, use the discount code TTH15, that gets you 15% off your tri-suit or anything you want to buy, um, so your whole order from WinRepublic. So yeah, go and have a look. Um, there's lots of great designs and, and all of their kits uh, are super fast, super comfortable and really practical. Uh, next question, Rins Grande asks, who are the best coaches in long course triathlon at the moment? My coach, Dan Lorraine, <laughs> not even competition here. <laughs> to be fair, he's probably the best coach in the history of triathlon. 
but if if you if you tell that to him, he he would never agree to that. And then there's like always this thing where it's like who who are the best coaches versus who have the best athletes. Like Dan Larang also has some pretty special athletes in people like yourself and Jan Fredino and um, Lucy Charles Barclay. You know, obviously Arnie Hag's a bit different because they started the sport together. So you could you could say that maybe he made Arnie Hag completely, whereas the others all pretty good athletes before Dan started working with him. So it's like best results versus best coaches. Very hard. For me, he also like, um, I would also say he made me um, from an average athlete to a yeah, world-class athlete because he started with me early as well. So, I mean, with a young age. That's, yeah, well, that's from the horse's mouth. Um, is, the, is there anyone else that you think um, on the same level as Dan Larang? I mean, um, there are like so many like really good coaches i think in the end it really depends um on on each athlete for every athlete also a different coach works better i think so it's it's hard to define like best coach um also yeah also can barely do it only by only by results impossible if you haven't actually worked one-on-one with a coach to know truly how good a coach they are i reckon so you can only base it off what you're hearing and results and for example, some coaches who I hear great things about by the athletes they're coached by and have results to back it up. Uh, I hear great things about Bjorn Geisman. All of his athletes that I've talked to love him and speak ridiculously highly of him. It's a big reason why I ask him to come on the podcast so much because um, of the conversations I've had with world-class athletes he coaches like Patrick Langer and um, Kat Matthews and Jan Stratman, for example, who just speak so highly of him. Um, and then Richard Laidlow, uh, I've had personal experience with Richard Laidlow. Um, he's helped me with a, a few things, and um, but but more than that, I've I've talked to people who he coaches, and I've talked to him, and I think he's a absolutely phenomenal um, uh, world class long course triathlon coach. Um, and uh, Olaf Alexander, of course, shouldn't forget. Well, yeah, I've 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 only ever talked to Christian about Olaf, and he said he's good. <laughs> but you hear, you see what Olaf's <laughs> done with Gustav and Christian, and. God, it's hard to argue that he's not one of the best coaches in the world. I have no personal experience or I've never heard, talked to anyone outside of Christian and even then haven't talked to Christian too much about him. So it's a bit hard to say, but he's one, if you look at what they've done, God, you'd, you'd probably put him on the level of, of Dan Larang, wouldn't you? Yeah, for, for sure. Oh, do you know who else? Sorry, David Tilby Davis is like, he's oh, someone yeah. who he's been around for ages and like I've personally known about him for 10 years type thing and i remember i messaged him back in like 2016 um uh, just to chat to him um but lately like he's taken over long course triathlon um he's ash gentles coach for for people who don't know um also sky Munch's coach who we had on the other day but yeah i you only hear good things about david tilby davis Angagaja. <laughs> Can't say the name. Can you? Anga Gaida. Us. Wait, 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 wait. How would you say it? Could you say that again, please? Just have one more go. Okay. Anga Gaida. Anga Gaida. I'm so I'm sorry to whoever um, is dead. Anga Gaida. Uh, 
<laughs> will the PTO races actually happen in 2024? Uh, yes, they will actually happen in 2024. Very skeptical of you, Angagagaja. Um, they will definitely happen in 2024 for sure. We heard Aaron Royal come on and he was sort of speculating we might even be getting 10 races. Um, that was quite exciting to hear, I felt. Aaron Royal is a member of the PTO Athlete Board, self-appointed president of the Athlete Board, actually. Um, so he would know. <laughs> and then uh, also having conversations with people a little bit. Um, I reckon we're going to get an announcement soon. Sooner than you think. I would, uh, I would say it will, will happen probably... Probably sooner than you think that we're going to get some some big announcements about the PTO. Um, so yeah, definitely going to happen in 2024. What do you think, Fred? Um, yeah, well, I I know if they're going to happen or not, but <laughs> how, how do you know? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Maybe maybe I'm going to do some. You got a contract? I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Oh, I love that you can't lie. You're just like, I can't, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. <laughs> All right. So, Fred, um, how much are you getting paid on the contract? Um, yeah, I can, I, I can basically retire after the season. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> how many races are you contracted for? <laughs> for... I mean, I will do, there will be quite some PTO races in 2024. And um, I probably um, won't have much yeah, time to do anything else. Like I personally, if I do the, P, if I do the PTO series. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Fred's contracted to the PTO your next year. So Anga Gagaja, that answers your question. They are happening. Um Next one. Oh, actually, did you have have you ended up having to change the date of your wedding because of the PTO races? Um no, the wedding stays the same day. But um yeah, maybe there won't uh, but that that I really don't know yet if there will be um another race after that. So it's still even for us athletes, not everything is one hundred percent sure yet. Gotcha. And just question on the wedding. Um this we pro could, probably could have this conversation off air, but are you going to pay for my flight to come to the wedding because I'm emceeing <laughs> it, or do I still have to pay for my own flight? Yeah, we we can talk about it off air. Okay, Just, it depends. It depends on um, on my season. Okay, <laughs> how much money I have. <laughs> well, judging by what you've just said about that PTO contract, probably a fair <laughs> bit. Uh, next question. Should, shouldn't shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Oh my god, these names. I feel like we've just had tough names all night. Um Quinri Rui underscore ninety-eight. God, I've butchered that. Um asks, what do you think is needed for Lionel Sanders and Sam Long to improve their swimming? Maybe they have to join JR in Australia. You could as well, speaking of. Yeah, maybe. I mean, um, I have a, a good mate who's actually um, training there right now with JR. Who's that? Um, Matthias Holrieder. He's an Austrian gotcha. pro triathlete and videographer. What's he said about it? He, I mean, he improved in that like uh, 
two months he's already swimming there he improved like crazy yeah yeah it's uh it's actually like good timing on that question because Ari Clow he's a member of the chase pack and he he probably fits into this bracket he's nowhere near the level of like he's ranked like 200 in the world compared to Lionel Sanders and Sam Long who are two of the best in the world um, but he's coming over to train with JR for for about two months as well um, to test that theory like if the Americans who are bad swimmers, of which Ari is a very average swimmer, um, come over to Australia and swim with, swim with like uh, the Australian swim squads, would they actually become front pack swimmers? He's gonna he's actually flying over to do that. So that'll be interesting. But Lionel Sanders and Sam Long, I feel like no one actually knows what they do uh, but assumes that they're doing something wrong just because they're not getting that much better. But I actually probably wouldn't put them in the same bracket. I think Sam Long is actually getting... Like, I think Sam Long's swimming has come along, uh, no pun intended, pretty well. And and he's probably not as bad a swimmer as people think he is. Um, whereas I do think Lionel's swimming from the outside looking in does seem to have not improved as much as it probably, like you probably think it should, given how hard he works and how dedicated he is to the sport. So you think maybe there's something else he could be doing. And so maybe uh, the Australia trip would have benefited Lionel um, quite a lot if he had have done it five or six years ago. I think it's it's hard though because you sort of live in the towns you live in, you train with the people you train with, don't you, a little bit as a, as a pro triathlete. So you sort of have what you have around you and, and that's it. So Lionel Sanders and Sam Long seem to train with similar-ish people, um, similar-ish coaches and do the same thing. I think the like the big thing that they could have is is sort of – 50 meter pools instead of those 25 yard pools. I think it's very hard to get good in 25 yard pools. What do you think, Fred? Yeah, like this, I think the 25 yard pool is really, um, it's, it's just good enough to like keep your fitness. But if you really want to get better, um, yeah, the 50 meter pool makes, makes a big difference. Um, at least, at least 25 meters. That's already such a big difference to, to 25 yards. Do you think Lionel Sanders' swimming will ever improve at this point? Do you think he's just at an age and a point in his career where his swimming sort of just is what it is? I think maybe um, he would improve if he, like, focused less on swimming, actually, if he, like, starts to to give a shit about it. It's it's often like that, you know? I think it was the same for Sebastian Kine, like, when he didn't really, like, focus on it, then he actually was... Uh, in a better swim shape than even he was like really focusing it and putting in those swim weeks. I also think considering like, I think Sam Long's the one who really does need to improve because of the racing he's going to do. Like obviously Sam Long's going to be competitive at PTO racing. So for him becoming a 30 seconds faster swimmer over, over two K is a huge de- deal. Whereas Lionel, I really do see him focusing on, um, you know, races like Ironman Texas or, Ironman Hamburg or Ironman Cairns where you can afford to to not have that um, 30 seconds from improvement in, and instead, you know, focus that extra five to six hours on your bike every week or on your run every week and, and that's where Lionel will probably get the big bang for his buck. Like I wish Lionel Sanders, same as you, I wish he would stop caring as much about his swimming and just go, hey, uh, and this is something Richard Laidlow talks about all the time, speaking of great coaches, focus on your strength. Let, let your strengths win your races. I think Lionel Sanders could live by that um, in 2024 and it would probably help him rather than getting like really hyper-focused on the fact he isn't a good swimmer and, and, and focusing on it all the time and maybe neglecting his bike and run. Even 5% or, or 10% 
what he would if he if he wasn't as worried about his swim. I think I think Lionel Sanders' bike and run over the full distance can be um, a big enough weapon that he can actually afford to not worry about his swimming as much, exactly like you said. Everyone's always confused about what nutritional products they should be using while they train and race and never really knows if what they're using is the best option for them. I can tell you from my experience of trying about 20 to 30 different brands over probably the last eight to 10 years that Precision Fuel and Hydration is by far my favorite. I started with Precision by trying their PF30 gel, which I really liked. And then I tried their drink mix, which I probably liked even a little bit more before finding the product from them that really took them from being I think my equal favorite brand at the time to, without question, my favorite brand, the PF90 gel. It's seriously amazing. And then more recently, I've been experimenting with their brand new flow gel. And honestly, I think it's now taken over as my favorite nutritional product I've ever used in my life. I don't ever do long rides or runs or hard sessions without it now. And if you're racing triathlon, particularly long course triathlon, or you're going to do a marathon, it's just the perfect way to get fuel in. Try it for yourself, head to Precision Fuel and Hydration's website and use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off your first order. Duff Town Sports Collective asks, should there be stricter rules for bike setup in long course triathlons similar to the UCI regulations and time trials for pro cycling? I like this question because I used to think, no, there shouldn't be stricter rules. I was all about triathlons, a place where innovation happens, just let, like, let people innovate. It's what triathlons are been known for for ages but i'm i've changed i've changed where now i think there should be i just think there's too big a discrepancy based on money so people like magnus ditliv and sam labor who are obviously now relative to other professionals quite rich can invest so much money into their positions and their bikes and innovation whereas someone who's ranked 100 in the world just cannot spend a probably a 50th a 50th of what those kind of people are um, and I don't think the sport should be as dictated to by a money arms race and a, and a, an availability arms race. So I, I do actually now think that there should be stricter rules around bike setup. Um, what about you, Fred? Yeah, I, actually, I haven't seen it like that yet. Um, there was I was just thinking the same. Like um, in terms of innovation, it's really good that there are not so many bans and regulations in triathlon. Um, especially for the bike brand, bike brands, um, and I think they, are, they should definitely stay like that. But if it comes to like, um, yeah, stuff like what you're adding to your bike or to yourself, um, and the aero testing, I mean, the the thing which I got the most aerodynamic um, gain in 2023 um, was also the cheapest ever aerodynamic gain by just putting down a shitty bottle in, in my suit. Uh, so, so that's that's not too expensive. And and I mean, also like the athletes like who are, don't have so much money, they can see what like Sam Laidlow and Magnus Ditlev or myself are doing uh, in terms to get faster. And they, they're just doing the same without like really, really testing it. And yeah, most of the time it works, works for everyone anyways. But I think you're thinking too much about people who have bike sponsorships and, and like where you're thinking, well, there's not too big a difference between myself and Sam Laidlow. But Fred, I would put you in the bracket of someone who can fully optimize and has availability to equipment. I'm thinking more someone who's ranked like 80 in the world or like even someone like I've talked about it before, number 35 in the world, something like that, Penny Slater. Like, you know, she doesn't have a bike sponsor who's paying her to ride her bike. So 
Um, or that's like, you know, go to someone who's ranked 80 in the world who probably isn't getting a bike for free. So they've got to spend $15,000 on a bike that you or Sam Laidler or Magnus Dipliff get for free. And then they've got to spend five grand on wheels that you guys get for free. So that's already 20, 20 grand there that, that they have to spend that you guys don't have to spend. And then like wind tunnel testing and aerodynamic testing, well, they're never going to be able to afford that. And, and you guys might get that for free. Like, I, I think... I think there's like, come on, you know yourself. You're someone who dedicates so much effort into optimizing your position. You know how big a difference the little things can make, let alone the big things like a bike frame. Um, surely, you, surely you can see that there is a big discrepancy between someone ranked 80 in the world and what they have available to them, and someone like yourself or or Lucy Charles or Sam Laidlow. But I mean, afford, you always have to afford a bike and there will always be differences even if you regu regulate it. So I don't think that that would change a lot. Um, and anyway, like you don't have to spend 15K. Like if you want the fastest bike in the world, it costs only like, um, I think 8K, the, the cube, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't help yourself. <laughs> I just, I just think we don't want money becoming like the the, the thing. Like it's already, yeah, of course. The sport's yeah. already so fucking expensive as it is. It's so expensive. It's so hard as a young pro now. Like if you don't come through a development system, if if you just get into the sport at twenty twenty one and you try and afford, like it's so it's so hard to make it. I, I just what, what like I think if we can do little things to make it so that like, you know, if I'm riding on a on a two thousand and seventeen bike, I'm not quite as like disadvantaged against you riding on a 2024 cube bike do you know what i mean yeah yeah next question and last question actually um trenor filnan asks what are your hobbies outside of triathlon well i'm already pretty occupied with um triathlon and my stripping business so <laughs> not much not not much time for for hobbies there <laughs> Just, we're going to get to that at the end of the episode. Stop jumping! Stop jumping ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, no, but seriously, like triathlon is so time-consuming. Um, I mean, I don't know what you when a hobby is a hobby, but all I'm doing is uh, doing triathlon and then eating, lying on the couch, watching Netflix, all that stuff. So. No, I really don't have hobbies other than in the winter I do cross country skiing, but I even that is more like for training purpose and not not a hobby. How much time do you have for like your girlfriend or your friends? Do you see many people? You're hanging out with many people. I mean, most of my friends are in triathlon as well, uh, because of that. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, my my fiance is so my fiance's support is insane. So. Um, yeah, but I still have, I would say, um, good enough uh, time for her as well. But it's somehow it's always, always connects to uh, to my life and to to the sport. So um, yeah, but also like when it's about going out in the evening for for a drink or something, um, I obviously have time for that as well. But it's it's not a hobby. Hobby is it. I guess the thing for you is triathlon is your like life and yeah. uh, and it's your career. Um, uh, so it's like, yeah, it probably started as a hobby, but it's not really a hobby now, is it? But, you know, you also find it fun. Definitely so, not a hobby. Uh, it's sort of gone past just a hobby. 
for me though, like even I, like I don't, I don't train as much as you or, or race, but even I'm just completely consumed by a triathlon to the point where not a lot of time for anything else. Like all I, the main thing I do is just talk to people in triathlon. When we, do you know what I mean? Like the amount of, the amount of time yeah. I spend me- messaging someone like you, for example, or um, just heaps of people, you're just constantly talking about triathlon. Um, and like you, you sort of get really stuck in the triathlon bubble, don't you? Like it's a very all-consuming thing where um, every day, all year round, like all you're doing is thinking about and talking about triathlon to other people who are in that triathlon bubble. Yeah, true. No, yeah, triathlon is is taking away the whole, the whole life. Like if, even I think even for most most amateur athletes um, listening to this podcast, probably they can relate as well. Like not even doing this professionally, but. Uh, yeah, it's just such a time-consuming sport. If if you're really uh, trying to to achieve something, even if it's just like finishing an Ironman. Yeah, I play with my dog a lot. That's that's probably the main thing I do outside of triathlon. I like to uh, watch YouTube and consume content. Like I love I love uh, watching TV shows or yeah, watching YouTube or listening to other podcasts. Um, play golf. Play golf recently. That's that's how you know I'm getting old. Is that I've started to play golf. That's what I would that was what I would count as a hobby, like playing golf. But uh, yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, even that. That that's probably literally all I do in my life outside of uh, talking about triathlon. Um, so I mean, okay, when I, when I can say one thing, then it's then it's like coffee. I take a lot of time and money uh, into my into my coffee game. So that's definitely uh, probably my biggest hobby next to triathlon. <laughs> and even that, that's just so that you have a a little bit of pop in your step in the morning so that you can get out to train. <laughs> I mean, I really take like time to, to make this coffee and everything. Like I love the process. Um, yeah. And getting all, all the tools and good coffee machine. It's, it's not just for Instagram in the end. That's the German in you, that meticulous German nature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all the questions. And the tough part, Fred, is that so many people sending questions about you being naked, you having sex with people, your career as a stripper, your OnlyFans, you taking photos of yourself. There was like, I think there was like 200 questions sent in or something and literally like 50 or 60 of them were just about your body. Um, And so I was going (laughs) to, I was going to do what I did last time and just write down the best ones. But I thought I'd let you off uh, on it this time. Um, But yeah, next time. Next time I'm coming for you. But all I want to say because um, about uh, your podcast with Martin van Riel and Aaron Royal, <laughs> because Aaron Aaron said uh, he's he's getting the the same pictures like like you are getting. Yeah, that upset um, me. I just want to say like he doesn't because he doesn't um, is not subscribed. He only has the free version, <laughs> not the premium <laughs> premium version. I am not subscribed to OnlyFans. Do not try and start that. I I actually every time. So like when you send me photos, because we talk on WhatsApp mainly, but every now and then we switch our conversation to Instagram. I don't even know why we do that, but people would know this. When you get sent photos on Instagram, they don't show up as the photo. They show up as that like (laughs) little thing where you have to click on it to see the photo. And I'm not joking. Anyone else who sends me that, that like a photo, I just click it. I don't really think about it. Have a look. But now it's to the point where when you send a photo, I sit there and I look at it and go do I really want to open this photo? Like I'm actually scared about what I'm going to see in it. So don't pretend like I pay to see you naked. You send me photos on Instagram. 
and like you don't even give me the option of like being able to. I have to click on it, and then it just hits me in the face, and it's um, it's confronting. It's all included. It's all included in a package check. <laughs> what's so? What's the package I'm on then? Yeah, it's like the the, the maximum premium plus uh, super <laughs> package, where you pay like like a hundred hundred bucks a month. You wish I yeah. PTO uh, are paying you that much. Does that mean they get the the package as well? Yeah, of course. Is Sam Renouf going to get access to these photos you send now? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a no. Um, yeah, that conversation with Aaron though. Um, sorry about having that behind your back, mate. Um, did upset me to hear that Aaron thinks that you like him as much as you like me. That hurt a little bit. Yeah, definitely, definitely gonna gonna pay for his flight to the wedding. But is he going to the <laughs> wedding? <laughs> Shut up! Stop laughing. <laughs> is he is he actually going, Aaron? I don't know if he's invited. Is he invited? Yeah. God, maybe you do actually like him more than me. Like, yeah, <laughs> that hurts. That hurts. Martin Van Riel is uh, now a part of the the like he, but. We've kicked Mika Newt out of the message group, so it's instead of me, you, Aaron, Mika Newt. Mika Newt's being kicked we out. We didn't, we did, we didn't kick him out. It's like you are just creating a new message group every second week. Yeah, like yeah, Martin's someone in else. There. Yeah, Martin's in there. Mika Newt out. Martin's we've also in. We've also got one with Matis, um, Magier. Then we still got one with 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 Colin. Yeah, Ma- Matis. Maybe we should start out. message there again. No, nah, Mattis, Mattis has kicked out. Colin. For obvious reasons, kicked out. That was actually a good group chat, though, wasn't it? But yeah, for obvious reasons, Colin's kicked out. The new one is Martin's in, Micah's out. Martin will, Martin will be kicked out soon if he doesn't sign the PTO contract, but I am hearing that maybe he's having those conversations, so who knows? All right. Now we still need to pick a, um, our winner for the – I mean, we've already picked it for the for the giveaway. Yeah, we did the generator earlier. Do you want to announce it? So um, – Time for uh, for everyone who doesn't know, me and Fred, we did a giveaway on Instagram. Um, and so we're announcing the winner here. Uh, a German person did win it. So if you're not German, I'm sorry you didn't win it. But because it is a German person, uh, I figured I'd throw it over to you, Fred, to announce the winner. Yeah, congratulations to Lea Stegmeier. Lea Stegmeier. Oh, it's Instagram name is also Lea Stegmeier. So, uh, Leah, message me or friend on Instagram. Do you want them to message you, Fred, or me? Mm, either way works for me. Yeah. So, yeah, message one or both of us. Well done. And we're going to get stuff sent from... I've already got a lot of stuff actually in the basement. My sponsors sent it to me, but then there's, there's some stuff. My other, Some of my other sponsors seem to send out as well. So Yeah. $6,000 yeah. $6, worth of prizes. So... That's pretty special. Um, it was uh, almost entirely Fred's partners who got involved in that giveaway. So a big thank you to all of them for doing that. That is no doubt going to uh, change uh, Leah's Christmas and uh, get her in the in the in a, in a much better pos- like position for a triathlon going into 2024 because of uh, your partners, Fred and you. So thank you for being a part of it, and uh, and thank your partners uh, on my behalf for being a part of it. Well done, Leah. All right, that's it. Last podcast uh, for the year, Fred. Last podcast for for 2023. Um, Pleasure to do it with you, mate. That was a lot of fun. Um, And uh, next year as well, 
me and Fred are going to be doing um, Q&As a little bit more regularly. We don't know exactly how often. It'll be, you know, every two to four weeks we'll jump on and we'll um, – We'll, we'll post on Instagram for you guys to send us in your questions. Uh, we'll pick the best ones and we'll answer them exactly like this. So going to be a more regular part of 2024. I'm excited about it, Fred. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot and have a um, yeah good New Year's party. Put your shirt on. For people who don't <laughs> see that, Fred's just taking his shirt off on the Zoom link. Uh, you're an idiot, mate. You do look good though. All right. It's still, it's still like it's still like five degrees uh, Celsius outside here, so no, I'm not running around shirtless yet. You do have weirdly small nipples looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> What's with that? They're real pointy. <laughs> All right, mate. Put your shirt on. Let, Talk to you next year. Let's wrap this up. See you, mate. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>